0: Now we're stopping and looking at why, the why of the wrath, the the behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the world and why God is judging. Not that God needs an explanation, not that God needs justification, because we know that in all things God is holy and righteous and true, and that includes in His wrath, His anger, His hatred, and also His judgments. God is not mistaken in what he does. So as we read here this morning, God takes time to give us a glimpse as a precursor of a warning. And I say precursor of a warning because we find ourselves living in the days before the end of days. We find ourselves living in a time of great turmoil and trouble. If you don't believe that, click on the news. If you don't believe that, walk around in in your daily life and find out what happens. If you don't believe that, why are we so weary at times, or heartbroken, or persecuted, or hated? Because God's word is eternal. Because God is eternal. And sometimes we forget that, and we live in the here and now, and we forget the eternality of God's word. But today's message is no less relevant for us in warning as it is for in the future or in the past. So go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Revelation 17. We're going to go through in part one here. We're going to look at verses one through six, and we're going to throw in verse 15 as well, because that couples with some of it. So we're going to read that this morning. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, A mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And then verse 15 we'll get into when we get into the rest of the text. But we see here from John's perspective another vision. John just got done with the terrifying vision of God's wrathful judgment in the seven last bowls which we know in them the wrath of God is completed. So if the wrath of God is completed, again, it just shows us that we're stepping back from that time frame and looking at the at the why, the beforehand of what's going on that contributed to the seven bowls of wrath. And we link that together because John points out here that the angel speaking to him is one of the seven that had the seven bowls of God's wrath. So again, it links the judgment of the seven plagues with the harlot itself. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's not an actual harlot. We're speaking metaphorically. Again, Scripture is very metaphorical sometimes when it speaks of harlots. Sometimes, yes, it is a literal harlot. But in this case, it is not. And it falls in line with the understanding of a false religion or a spiritual defection or idolatry or a religious apostasy, they all fit into this category of a harlot. And that is what John is pointing out, that the Babylonian idea of a harlot, which again, this is the worldwide religion of the day in the end times, is a false religion. Harlot is oftentimes used in the Old Testament with actual cities. If you go to the book of Nahum in chapter 3, verses 1 and 4, Nineveh was considered a harlot city. Meaning it was a city full of idolatry, full of spiritual oppression, full of religious apostasy. If you go to Isaiah chapter 23 verses 15 through 17, the city of Tyre was also listed as a city of harlotry. But do you know there's actually one sad fact in that? That God in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 said Jerusalem itself was a city of harlotry. It's a sad statement that the people of God are equated with the harlotry of God. That the people that were called to be the focal point of the glory of God and to bring the glory of God and the message of Christ to the world was a city full of harlotry. We find ourselves living in a day and age where the church oftentimes can be equated in the same fashion the church that compromises the gospel for the sake of false unity. The church that compromises the purity of the gospel for tolerance and sin. A church that continues to defraud those who seek to be faithful. A church that seeks to have a name as living but is dead. And it's very apparent in our culture today that a living church is a rare gem to be found. So we find ourselves in a very similar situation. That as John sees the abomination of the great harlot, so we can see pieces and parts of that today. The church is not pure in every sense that it's called a church. We can look at some churches and they call themselves a church, but the, as Jesus pointed out in Revelation 3, they are synagogue of Satan. They tolerate immorality, they tolerate sin. They tolerate a false gospel, which Paul said they should be accursed. So, in our charge, we seek to maintain the pure gospel. And that's the gospel as laid out by God in the scriptures. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one way to God, and it's through repentance. Repentance for the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. That we have a sin problem that we cannot fix on our own. That we have a problem with pride and self-indulgence. That we have a problem with the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. But by God's grace, we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Christ, we can be washed and made whole. We can be made white as snow. And that's the hope that we hold to a pure gospel. One gospel. Christ alone through faith alone, by the word alone, according to God's grace. And that is the gospel that this church preaches unashamed and uncompromisingly. And Lord willing, by his grace, it will continue that way. But this is what we are facing. And it's interesting because the harlot is the focal point of John's vision now, at least for the beginning half of chapter 17. And in that focal point, it is also the focal point of God's judgment. Because God is not silent when it comes to false religion. God is not silent when it comes to apostasy. God is not silent when his name is dishonored among the nations. And God's wrath will be meted out on all those who dishonor his name. So let's look at it this morning, and we're going to look at the characteristics that build up and make up this harlot. And again, like I said, it's not an actual physical harlot. We're not talking about an actual prostitute this morning, even though there's a lot of that that's going around, especially in this time. But we're talking about a lifestyle, a world religious system. Again, the dangers of religion are very real, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But let's pray before we go ahead and dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he bled and died for our sins. Because even though our sins are piled up from here to heaven, you made a way for us to find favor in your sight. Because of the righteousness of Christ. Because he lived a perfect and holy life in our stead that Christ was the second Adam that we could never be. And Father, as we dig into your word this morning, we ask that your wisdom and your spirit will guide and lead us, that you will help us to see that which you desire in our hearts to change, that you will help us to be on guard, that you will help us to fight the good fight, that you will help us to live pure and holy lives, that we will be people defined by prayer and by holiness, but that we would also be defined as people that admit our faults and our failures, and we repent. Father, may your church be defined by repentance and by mercy and grace and love, exhorting and loving one another well, carrying each other's burdens. Father, may we be known as a church that follows after Christ at all costs. Lord, we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look here this morning at the second half of verse one, and in verse fifteen we already talked about the seventh angel, and the seventh angel is one of, or the seven, eight, the one of the seven angels is the one who is giving John the vision, and he told John, and he says this: "Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits upon many waters." And then, if you jump down to verse fifteen, he gives insight into what he means. Why do we need that insight? Well, back in the day. Talk about a city of influence. So right now we're looking at the character of the harlot's influence. This is our first point this morning. And most cities that were of prominent influence sat upon a river or a water source. And the ancient city of Babylon sits upon the great river Euphrates. Why? Because it has influence and power. It has a way to irrigate crops, to give uh, slake the thirst of its people. It has life. Life is in the water, right? Without water we do not live long. It's a proven fact. It is something we can never get away from. But that's talking of the physical life, not spiritual. But this morning again, it is not that we're talking about the physical location of Babylon, because John's vision incorporates the harlot, the great harlot of Babylon. And as he says, she sits upon many waters. Well, we can go back to Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 13. It says, of Babylon, you who dwell upon many waters. But in order for us to understand the context that it's not talking about a physical location of Babylon, we need to jump to verse 15. And the angel gives this understanding. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the angel defines for us here that he's not talking about an actual physical location of Babylon. He's talking about a harlot, the false religion of the day that is binding the peoples together in an unholy life. That it's talking not of a physical harlot, but of a spiritual one. Of one that has defected away from the truth of God's word and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And it is chased after a false abomination, full of immorality, full of wickedness. This physical understanding is a spiritual one, okay? It is not a physical location. And as the harlot is described of sitting upon many waters, and those waters being peoples and tribes and tongues and kings, her sphere of influence is great. And we see that even today. False religion has a great pull on the hearts of people. And we established that understanding last week when we talked about the fact that man is irrevocably religious. Why? Because we are spiritual beings made in the image of God. We were made to worship. And in that understanding that we are people and creatures made to worship, we will worship something. And if not Christ, anything but. And this is what we are beginning to understand. And John is laying out for us this morning that it is those of a spiritual fornication that is in view here. Those who have chased after a deadly and dangerous false religion. How do we know it's deadly and dangerous? Well, because the angel that had one of the seven plagues is the one describing the harlotry. The sphere of influence is huge. How dangerous is false religion? Well, the scripture has a lot to say about it, does it not? Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul equates false religion and false understanding with cancer. We all know cancer is not a good thing. It eats away at the vitality and the life of a person. It spreads. It changes and mutates. But it kills and destroys. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Remind them of these things. Now, Paul, again, is talking to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor and a missionary. He's helping Paul establish churches and set up the eldership and and the deaconship in churches. That they would walk well, that they would walk faithfully according to the word and the gospel of Christ. So this is our context for us. And he says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of its hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Again, doctrine. Doctrine has to be sound. If it is not sound, it is a false religion. Remember, Paul said, if anybody comes and preaches to you a gospel other than what I presented, let them be accursed, even if it's an angel, even if it's me myself, let them be accursed. Let's keep going. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene or cancer, among whom are Hermanius and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having the seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Paul is laying the foundation here to young Timothy that in the church, the church is to be not only morally pure, but more importantly Uh, spiritually pure. It is to have sound doctrine. It is to follow the tenets of the word of God. Why? Because God is pure and holy and we ought to be as such. We are to avoid the things that lead to disunity, disruption of the church, dissension among brothers, unloving and unkind words, showing an example of unfaithfulness, We are to avoid such things because they spread like cancer in the church. Paul was dealing with people who like to sit there and gossip. People who like to spread lies about the truth. Right now, he was talking about, there are some that were saying that the resurrection of the saints have already happened. So, sorry guys, you missed out. They are upsetting the faith because they were preaching heresy. The dangers of false religion run deep, not just outside the church, but in the church. And what is Paul saying? Be on your guard, but also show yourself approved by your doctrine. If you do not know what the word doctrine means, you are on shaky ground. If you don't understand the doctrine of the word of God, you are immature. And you need to grow and you need to understand the doctrines of your faith. Again, I've said it to my children many times. If you don't know why you stand where you stand, you won't stay there very long. If you don't know why your foundation is solid in Christ, you can be easily pushed off of that. The waves of the world can knock you off your feet. But if you are rooted firmly in Christ, you do not need to be afraid. What did Paul tell Timothy? Your seal is that God knows those who are his. God knows how to care for his children. God knows how to care for his church. But he charges the church with being aware. Why is that important? Turn to Revelation chapter 3. Christ made some great admonitions to the churches in John's day. And he pointed out these very specific things. To the church in Sardis, he said this. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Why? Well, he explains which are about to die, for I have found not I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. What does he say? Jump down to verse four. But you have a few people in Sardis who have soiled their garments. Again they chase after the things of the world. Is that uncommon? No. Go to the church of Thyatira, which is right before that. And he says this, And I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, immorality, uncleanliness, idol worship, spiritual idolatry. Turn back one more to the message to Pergamum. He says, but I have a few things against you. And what is that? Because you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who keep the teaching of Balaam to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. And so you also have some who hold the way of the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Again, the church over and over is admonished. Be pure. Follow sound doctrine. Chase after Christ. Deal with sin. You know what his next word was? Therefore repent. Do we repent? It's not a one time only thing. Yes, our initial repentance of our sin finds us in standing in righteousness with Christ. But we ought to repent of the things where we fall short. Because it is a reminder again of why Christ needed to go to the cross. Because relationally, we have broken that relationship when we step into sin. And we, how do you restore a relationship with somebody? You repent and you seek forgiveness and you seek restoration of that relationship. That is how our walk with Christ is. Positionally, we are in Christ, secure, perfect, holy, in the righteousness of Christ. Relationally, where are you at? Because it ebbs and flows, does it not? As we walk in our life, none of us walks perfect. You kids hear that? None of us walks perfect. No one. But we ought to be faithful, to be on guard against spiritual harlotry. To be on guard against the religion of the world. Because it is deadly. It is dangerous. And it's even more dangerous to mix truth of the gospel with worldly understanding. Why? Because you know what? That's what Satan has used throughout all of the centuries. Is taking the truth of God's word and adulterating it. Taking a little bit of truth to make it believable. And staining it with a lie. As Paul told Timothy... Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Are you not ashamed today? I hope not. I pray not. Are you standing firm? I hope so. I pray so. Because this has everlasting reverberations. What we do today affects eternity. Every day we live affects eternity. Is God using your today for his eternal glory? Or are we seeking and finding dishonor in the way that we dishonor his name by the way that we live? Or the way we think? Or the way we interact with the world? Or do we bring honor and glory to the name of Christ? So we see here that the harlot's scope of influence is big. It's worldwide. Do you know that it's the same today? Satan's influence is worldwide. It's not just to a certain locale or a certain location. That's why the church must be on guard. That's why as soldiers of Christ, we ought to be prepared for battle. And make no mistake, battle happens every day, whether we're aware of it or not. Secondly, let's move on. We're going to look at the harlot's backing or her supporting in verses 2 and 3 with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. So now we get a little glimpse more into the character of the harlot. And again, let's remember we're not talking about a physical harlot. We're talking about the adulterous relationship of religion. The world religion. So we're keeping our scope and our focus on that. Because that is the focus of what the angel is showing John. That it is a spiritual fornication away from the Lord. That it is a religion that is pulling mankind away from God. Because you either worship something or you worship God. There's no two choices outside of those. God or something else. And that something else is always centered on sin. And disgust. And immorality. Because it is immoral to worship anything that is not perfectly moral. Isn't that the whole point of what Paul said? If there is anything pure or lovely, think on those things. Only God is pure and lovely. We ought to think on him. We ought to think on the things of the word because God's word is pure. But this verse shows us her backing is vast. The kings of the earth, the powers of this world... Can we look at our own country for a second? The powers of our country are corrupt. Why? Because man's corrupt. And because they are not seeking God, they are seeking after their own pleasures. They are getting drunk on power and influence and immorality. It is rampant in our country. But you know what? Our country is not unique. This has been the course of history since man fell in the garden. Since man partook of the forbidden fruit, man has always sought to make himself equal to God or better than God. That is not a new struggle. We have been struggling with that sin for thousands of years. But praise God, one day we'll no longer struggle with that if we remain faithful, if we remain Christ and his alone. How do we do that? By being on guard, by being aware by being biblically literate, by being in prayer and in the Spirit, by focusing on glorifying God and being a good and faithful slave. That's the message of the gospel. It's not, I focus on these things so I can become rich and I can do all these lavish things and I can have great influence and I can make people like me. The gospel has nothing to do with people liking you because the gospel has nothing to do with you. It has to do with Christ. That's where so many people fall into a false religion. Because it is not about us. It's about the cross of Christ and God glorified. This pulpit is not to be made to elevate a man above anybody else. It is to preach the gospel without compromise. And yes, that means sometimes you make people really angry. Why? Because man has pride and it hurts to have it stepped on. If you don't think so, step on somebody's pride and see what happens. Step on your own pride and see how it feels. We are to keep the word pure. And it's not easy. It's easier sometimes, it looks like, to follow the crowd. And the vast crowd is going the wrong direction. Jesus said, narrow is the way and few that find it that leads to eternal life. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Do you know that means that it is very narrow? That means there's not a lot of people there, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? And yet we find ourselves astounded that so many people are going the wrong direction. God is right. He always is. But we need to be warned to not find ourselves in a false religion to not make a God of our own making. Do you know that happens even in a good church? Because people put God in a box of the way they see him. I see God this way, and this is comfortable for me. That's not what we are to do. We are to be uncomfortable with the holiness of God and the entirety of the word of God. We can't take one aspect of God that we like. God is love. Yes, he is. But God is also just and wrathful. God is still angry with the wicked every day. And yet he still loves the sinner enough to send his son to die for them. Only God is God. We can't make up our own because it doesn't work. But we have a warning here too. A warning that as it talks about the harlot and her great immorality, let's not equate that with the Old Testament people of Israel. Because the world is not God's wife and never has it been equated as God's wife. Only Israel has been equated with God's wife and commits spiritual adultery against her husband. So let's not take that understanding and that focus point and apply that here. Because that's not what God is talking about. That's not what the angels talking about. Because the peoples of the earth here do not know God. They do not recognize God. They are not God's wife. They are made in the image of God, but they have chosen immorality. These have chosen spiritual fornication for the sake of their own personal gain, which is to their own personal demise. The rulers of the world will be completely obsessed with this false religion, which is the great harlot. How do we know that? Because it says here, whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Do you know those who are drunk are not in their right mind? But they get fixated. For those of you who have never been drunk, praise God. For those of you who have, you can understand this verse in a little bit different context. You are not in your right mind. You are a fool. You make dumb decisions. You get fixated on stupid things. You walk, staggering. But this is exactly what the world will do. It will get so drunk on a false religion and following the way of Antichrist and the way of Satan that it will not know what it's doing. It will be so lost and blind to its own foolishness. When you are drunk, you might know it, but you don't understand that you are acting stupidly. There are many times where drunk people do things and they have no memory of it. They do things and don't realize what they're doing. Or they think they're doing something else. Or they think this looks glamorous while they're not realizing what they look like or what they're doing. This is how God is equating those who seek after a false religion. They are so enamored they don't understand that they have gone so far astray. The rulers of the world will be obsessed and engrossed in the immorality Of the harlot, which is false religion. How do we know that? Well, in chapter 13 and verse 8, it says this: And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. It's a big number of people, it's a broad road to destruction. How do we know it's destructive? Well, we just read chapter 16, which is the seven bowls of the finished wrath of God. But they pledge everything to this false religion. They pledge their economics. Elijah, you should understand that now that you're studying economics. They pledge their economics. They pledge everything in their social life. They pledge their military, their politics, their lives to this destructive path. And how do we know that? Because the scripture here says not only the kings of the earth, but all those who dwell on the earth. Rich to poor, slave to free, male to female. Everybody who has walked the way of idolatry is on that road. The scope here works from the top down as it normally does. Right? You have what's called the trickle effect. Elijah, you're going to study that more as you get into economics. But you have the trickle-down effect, right? Usually everything flows from the top down. Well, it's the same thing in religion. If the leaders don't have it right, usually the people down below aren't going to get it right. Why? Because they're being taught something that's false. But if the people down below get it, and the top isn't doing it right, it's your responsibility to get the top to do what's right, or to get rid of it. Do you realize that your responsibility in the church is to make sure that the pulpit is pure? Yes, it is my responsibility as well, but it is also yours for the accountability of the purity of the preaching of God's word. I know you've heard me say that many times, and I will not relent on that because I am a man just as you. I make mistakes, and I pray I don't make one here. I don't take that lightly because it doesn't take long to fall on a slippery slope. But again, we're not talking about a literal drunkenness, literal acts of immorality, even though that's going to be happening in, this day, in the day and age that John is writing in the future. It happens now. But we're talking about in the spiritual life. Because we know that in the flesh we all are, die, right? All of us one day, unless the Lord doesn't tarry, will die. That's the way that life goes. Yet, we know that our soul and our spirit lives on eternally. Because we've been made in the image of God and God is an eternal being. So we have an eternal side of our character. We do not want to fall on the slippery slope of false religion. But John's going to see that this starts the scene starts to shift away from just the harlot sitting there. And it says here that he was carried away in the spirit to the wilderness. And that, world, that word wilderness is actually just another word for a desolate wasteland. Actually, modern-day Babylon is a perfect example. God said that he would destroy Babylon, and he did. And it's a wasteland. It's a wasteland and a deserted, desolate desert but that's not necessarily what John's talking about of a location. Could be. But he just was carried away in the spirit to a desolate area. And he was shown a vision. And this vision connects well with the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to read this. And he carried me away in the spirit. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having ten heads and ten, uh, seven heads and ten horns. So we're going to get into the cup of her immorality. And it's important that we understand that. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. The prophet Jeremiah had a lot to say about Babylon and a lot to say about false religion. But in Jeremiah 51, in verse 7, he had this to say, and this is helping set the context of what we're looking at now and what we're going to look at here coming up. Jeremiah 51, in verse 7, Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, intoxicating all the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are going mad. Do you think we live in a day and age that you can describe as mad? Yeah. Do you think all of history has been living in a day and age where you can describe it as mad? Yeah, a lot of it. But it's going to get worse. God's word guarantees it. And we know God is true. But it's going to get worse. But again, this helps us to understand what's happening here. We're talking about a false religion that is not just the tens of thousands of false religions we have today. We're talking about one. One religion that will unify the world against Christ and against his people. And in that, God is saying again, I have used Babylon as a cup that has made the nations drunk. And they've gone mad. Do you know that's the definition of mad or insane? Right? Doing something that's not sane, right? Well, following a holy God who's always true, always right, and perfect. And yet you go against that. That's insane. But here, again, we see it shift to a different scene. And we see the understanding more of what's behind the harlot, right? Right? Because we know it's not just a worldwide religion that's, that's pushing this. We know that it is Satan himself. And how do we know that? Well, right here. It says, I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. You know, that's the description we've seen already of the Antichrist. He is supporting her. That's what John is seeing as she's sitting upon this scarlet beast. We are seeing that he is supporting this world religion. We also know that he's only going to do it for a time because he's not going to stand the fact that people are worshiping a religion instead of himself. We've already read that in chapter 13. But here we see the beginning of Antichrist using a false religion to unify the nations against God. At this time of God's outpouring of his wrath, we know that the world has acknowledged those judgments have come from God. We saw that back in chapter 6 already. But we also know that man will continue to shake their fists at God and seek to loose the bonds that God has placed on man because of his sin. Man is enslaved to either his sin or to Christ. That's it. But we also know from verse 16 in this chapter that he will destroy this religion because he will set himself up in the temple as God himself. Antichrist will not allow a false religion to hinder his glory and his own splendor. There will no longer be a separation of church and state. Right? It's going to be a worldwide system of religion. And everybody that does not name the name of Christ will follow it. The world will be unified by religion in a way that we have not seen but the beast is described as a scarlet beast. And it's interesting because that has its association with luxury, right? 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 24 talks about the splendor and the luxury of Saul before he died. It actually uses the word scarlet to describe that. But it also is associated with royalty and splendor, right? The scarlet robes of a king. It also describes for us in Isaiah 1, verse 18, that scarlet is also associated with our sins. That's that verse we all know, but we don't know the address, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, he will make you white as snow. Our sins are also signified with scarlet. It's also the color of blood, right? We all know that. Blood is scarlet red, right? Well, it gives us a great description and a depiction of the beast, He is a splendorous, royal, sinful, bloody mess. That's the scripture. The Antichrist is a splendorous, royal, bloody, sinful creature. Seeking to bring the downfall of man. And he's full of blasphemous names. We were told that in chapter 13 and verse 1. But we were also told that in the book of Daniel. And I'm going to read that description for you quickly. In Daniel chapter 7. If I can get my pages to flip. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 had this to say. He will speak out against the Most High. And he will wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand. So again... He will speak out blasphemous things against God. And then in chapter 11, verse 36. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. He will seek to take all the glorious titles of our God and apply them to himself. He will blaspheme our God for his gain. In his ignorance, he makes it his downfall. He gets drunk upon the idea that he can be God. And the seven heads we know are seven governments. Five fallen, one is, one yet to come. We'll talk about that next next time when we get into the explanation of the vision and the ten horns are ten kings who will rule under Antichrist. Again, next week's explanation, or following week. we see now that the backing of false religion is what? It's steeped in hell itself. It's steeped in the sin of Satan. Was it not Satan who said, I will ascend higher than the throne of God? I will place myself. Right? This is what we're getting to when we get into false religion, and it doesn't matter which one it is. Name one of the thousands that are out there. They are all steeped in the same premise of sin. The same destructive idea that we can do something that God cannot. That we can make ourselves like God. Was that not what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with? If you will eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Not telling them they'll also die, right? No, you will certainly not die. No, not immediately. But they were dead spiritually as soon as they ate of the fruit. But this is what we fight against. The backing of the harlot is powerful and almost complete. But again, we go back to the idea, narrow is the way and few that find it. Broad is the way. Do you know that gives us great opportunity as God's people to preach the gospel? Because imagine if it was broad as the way that leads to eternal life and narrow is the way that leads to destruction. We'd be hard-pressed to find people to preach the gospel to. I don't know about you, but it's not hard to find people to preach the truth of the gospel to. It is very simple to go out my door and to find somebody that doesn't know Christ or to find somebody that is lost in a false religion. It is very simple. We're surrounded by it. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? This leads us to our third point, the harlot's trade. And in verse 4, it says, And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So again, we see here that she's good at what she does. She's become rich in her harlotry. Do you know that's one of the biggest pulls of false religions today? Money. Power. Prestige. No accountability. Do you know a lot of people don't like being held accountable? Not a lot of people do. But that's one of the pulls of a false religion. You don't have to be accountable for what you do, you're okay the way you are. You ever heard that lie? You're good as you are. If that was true, this is irrelevant. If you're good the way you are, the cross is irrelevant. Because the cross is saying you are not good the way you are. You cannot do it on your own. You needed a sacrifice and a substitute for your sin. That's why the gospel is offensive. Because you are not a good person. You are not right with God. You cannot do it on your own. But that's the truth of the gospel. And that's the beauty of it. That we are left to ourselves. We are left without hope but because of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. She plies her trade well. Does the scripture have anything to tell us about harlots? Yeah, go to the book of Proverbs. Right? Solomon, one of the wisest, or the wisest man that ever lived, who struggled with being wise and not foolish. Solomon had a lot of wisdom to teach us. In Proverbs chapter 7, we see this. And he says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you, within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Meaning, always set God's word before your eyes. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from the adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Why? Well, let's look at that. For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, the harlot or the adulteress, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him and says, and with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you. Again, intentionality of sin. It is out there seeking to destroy you. It is intentional. It is in your face to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Again, the richness, right? Things that appeal to man. Good things, not necessarily in and of themselves bad, but put in the context of how it is written, it is sin. It is the Wiles of sin that look good for a minute, but you find yourself in destruction. And you can continue on, talking about her flattery, her persuasions, and her seductions. And then it says there in verse 22, And he suddenly follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Chapter 9 also speaks about the wiles of the harlot. We're not going to read that because we're not going to have time. But don't think that false religion is out there advertising itself of, Hey, we're a false religion. If you follow us, you're going to go to hell. No. They're going to show you the good things. They're going to flatter you. They're going to seek to seduce you. Do you know that Proverbs also talks about the fact that wisdom is out there calling to the naive. Come to me, you who are naive, and come and understand wisdom. But the boisterous harlot is out there saying, no, follow me. I can show you great riches in a good time. Which do we follow? Which do we press onward towards? We need to make our choice. And we're going to look at now our last point, and it's the, sin, the harlot's sin, her guilt, and the charge of God for her guilt in verses 4 through 6. And it says here in the end of verse 4, Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the unclean things of her immorality, and on her forehead was a name, was written, A mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. So we see here that we're going to be taking that understanding that innocence is gone. Sin seeks to take everything. Sin will cost you everything. Your innocence and your very life. Scripture is very clear about that. It may be fun for a season, but in the end it will be bitter. In the end it will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the bitter torment of hell. To follow sin is to follow the folly of Satan. But again, that golden cup, again talking about Jeremiah 51.7, that God has used the golden cup of Babylon to make drunk the world and the abominations of her idolatry and her sin. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse had something to say on this, and I'm going to read it for you this morning. And he says, It is also highly significant that the abominations and filthiness should be spoken of as concerning from the golden cup. For Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken, and the nations have drunk of her wine, and therefore the nations are mad." To those who are acquainted with the history of ancient, religious, of ancient religions, this is very significant. It is heightened by the comparisons with the rites of pagan religious mysteries. A French scholar, Salverte, writing on the occult sciences, tells of the drinking in connection with demon ceremonies. To drink of mysterious beverages, he says, was indispensable on the part of all who sought initiation into the great mysteries. These mysteries um, bever- uh, mysterious beverages were composed of wine, honey, water and flour, with various other ingredients which were used locally. From the nature of the ingredients avowed used, and from the nature of the others not avowed, but certainly used, there can be no doubt that they were an intoxicating nature. And until the aspirant, or the one who who takes it, has come under their power, till their understandings have been dimmed and their passions excited by the medicated draught, they were not duly prepared for what they were either to hear or to see. Make no mistake about it, this still happens. I read an article about a famous actress, and I'm not going to name names, but a famous actress who went to South America to indulge in these very things to become so drunk and medicated by drugs until she had visions and the practice and everything that went along with that the abominations that went along with the ceremony is disgusting but this is again the understanding that just because it looks innocent doesn't mean that it is because it is always full of the abominations of the earth It is always full, don't get caught, of the abominations of the Satan himself in the world. The pleasures of this life pale in comparison with the glories of Christ. Do you know that back in the day, it was the custom of Rome to have all harlots identify themselves? Roman law required harlots to identify themselves as such. Which is why it's interesting that as John is seeing this vision that it says she had a name upon her forehead. And the word mystery there should be part of the title, because it's just speaking that it's not Babylon a location, but the Babylon of the mystery of the false religion. Prostitutes had to identify themselves in John's day, again, as was the custom in Rome. And in chapter 18, and verse 5, it says this, And her sins have piled up as high as the heavens, and God remembered her iniquities. Again, the sin of the harlotry of Babylon has been made full, and God is judging it. God's charge against her is what? Not only is she the mother of all harlots and of the abominations of the earth, but she had bloodlust for those who named the name of Christ. Christ. And the understanding here in verse 6, and he says, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, just goes to show that in all of history of mankind and in future history that is yet to come, it has always been false religion that seeks to destroy the image of God. The ungodly has always sought to destroy the righteous. Do you know false religion has taken more people to hell? False religion runs rampant, and it is the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus that God has condemned her for. Again, speaking of false religion, is religion dangerous? Absolutely. Unequivocally so. Are we to be on guard against it? Absolutely. Are we to fight against it? Absolutely. With what? The truth. Do you know that the truth of God will prevail in the end? What God has said, God will carry out. What God has said he will do, he will bring to fruition. It encompasses all the faithful of all the ages. Religion is a bloodthirsty murderer of mankind and hostile towards the name of Christ. It is hostile toward the way toward the kingdom of God. And its bloodlust describes her character and exposes her motive. The motive of false religion is to destroy life. To make a mockery of man. Because if Satan doesn't win, and he knows he doesn't, he's going to take as many with him as he can. Anything he can do to detract glory from God. And we know that this disturbing... Vision confused John, right? How can you take some woman in the vision that was lovely to look at, right? Scarlet, pearls, gold, all those things that are appealing to the eyes, and yet her character revealed to John confused him greatly. But he was not to be left with a vision of a beautiful, stunning woman who is terrifyingly grotesque and bloody. He was going to get an explanation of it. And Lord willing, we're going to look at that next time we get into the word. We're going to look at the explanation of the harlot, the explanation of the beast, and the explanation of the judgment of God on false religion. But make no mistake, religion is a dangerous thing when it's not done according to God's way. And that's what we need to be on guard against. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the shed blood of Christ. That though our sins be as scarlet, we have been made white as snow. And Father, we seek to have purity in our life on a daily basis. That we seek each and every day to live to the glory of God. That we seek each and every day, we seek out the lost. Because you are a God who seeks the lost. You are a God who is concerned with the unrepentant and the wicked that even though you are angry with the wicked every day, that in your patience you have allowed man to come to faith in Jesus Christ through the grace and mercy of your spirit. Father, we pray that we would be faithful people, that we would stand steadfast, that we would stand firm upon the glory of Christ and the word of God. We know that Jesus is the word. Father, help us to stand firm. Help us to be faithful in preaching the gospel. Help us to be faithful in living the gospel every day. And help us to be faithful in being on guard against false religion. And exposing it. And helping others see the the downfalls and the pitfalls and the horrors of false religion. Help us to be a church that stands upon the word of God. Help us to be a church that seeks the lost, that strengthens the weak, that honors the poor, the widow, and the orphan, that honors your word by living lives committed to the glory of Christ. Father, help us to be a humble people. Help us to be a people that is concerned with the things of eternity. Father, help us to be a people that understand your word and continue to gain greater understanding of who you are and how great you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.